Do you love decorating your home with your personality and showing people who you are as soon as they enter the room? But maybe it's just so difficult to find what you were looking for. Maybe some Pokemon card coasters. Or maybe even some Totoro miniature vases. Hell, maybe even a Star Wars Rebel logo canvas for your wall. Well, luckily for you, us over here at Leveling Up with Benjamin Banks have teamed up with Nerdy Crafts by Tiny T to give you what you've been looking for. Nerdy Crafts by Tiny T has opened up her Etsy shop where you can decorate your home and yourself with your favorite nerdum, from anime to Disney animations or even mythical creatures. If you are looking for it, Tiny T from Nerdy Crafts has got it. You can find Nerdy Crafts by Tiny T by searching Nerdy Crafts by Tiny T on Facebook and Etsy or by clicking the links provided to you on the Leveling Up with Benjamin Banks podcast page. Also, make sure you use the code LEVELINGUP at checkout to save yourself 10% off your purchase. That's code LEVELINGUP at checkout to save yourself 10% off. Decorate your home with Nerdy Crafts by Tiny T today. Hey, what's good, everybody? It's me, your hero, Benjamin Banks, and you are listening to Leveling Up with Benjamin Banks. And joining me as always, except that one time, because he wasn't here, is my co-host, Trav the Trash Man Martin. How you doing today, bro? Hey, I'm ready. It's October. We celebrating, and we starting off with a banger, believe. That is true, man. And it is the spooky season, man. And I am so excited because when it is October, there's just so much cool stuff to do. There's so much cool stuff to watch on TV. And we wanted to make sure that for the month of October that we were bringing you the best of the best when it comes to horror and all that good stuff. And joining us today is somebody who I had met on Twitter. She's a very awesome person, and that is Miss Heather Wixon. And uh, she is a part of Daily Dead. She has her own book that's coming out called Monsters, Makeup, and Effects, Volume 1, that is coming out on October 20th this month, which you can pre-order now. So, Trav, let's go ahead and give her a call. But before we give her a call, here's a word from our sponsors. Make sure that you go to Golden Ink Tattoo, located at 3109 Airline Boulevard in Portsmouth, Virginia. Give them a call at 757-465-1010 to book an appointment with Denise, Kitty, Jay, or Kane. And I'm not talking about the big red machine either. You can go there, you mention Leveling Up Banks, and you get 10% off of your tattoo. So if you're looking for a tattoo, get your tattoo at Golden Ink Tattoo. Yeah. Joining us today, because this is our first episode of the Spooky Month, and all this month we're going to be having guests that uh, are fans of the spooky season, the horror season, Halloween, you know, all of that scary stuff that happens in the month of October. And there was no better person to bring on for our first episode, and that is Heather Wixon from Daily Dead and the author of Monsters, Makeup, and Effects, Volume 1. Heather, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me on. That was quite an introduction. I appreciate it. Hey, that's hey, what he welcome. does. Hey, this is what I do. <laughs> it's like I hype up everybody that we have up here on Level Up with Benjamin Banks because it is always an honor to have such incredible and talented people come up here with us and just share their time with us. So thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. Awesome. Awesome. So let's go ahead and get into today's episode. So everybody that's watching and listening right now, I just want to give you a little story on how me and Heather met. So when the Candyman movie had came out, uh, you know, I had did a review for it. And after I did my review, I went in Twitter land and I just searched 
everybody that has something to say about Candyman. And I went on everybody's tweets and I shared my opinions about the movie. And, uh, you know, Heather, not, not everybody, they don't respond back to, you know, my tweets. But Heather, she responded back to mm-hmm. it. And we started talking about the Candyman film and whatnot and just how good it was. And if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it because it is such a really good film. And I thought that they did it justice to carry on the legacy of Candyman. And, uh, you know, of course, you know what we do here on Leveling Up with Benjamin Banks? We slide in the DMs and have her say, hey, I want to come on. And uh, yeah, and that's how we have her here now. So like I already said before, thank you again, Heather, for, uh, you know, opening up that message and just talking with me. Because sometimes we slide in the DMs and sometimes we just keep on sliding. But we, <laughs> I slid in and I landed. I stopped and uh, I'm happy. So something that we do here, Heather, is we ask all of our guests, what is their origin story? Every hero or villain has one. So tell everybody who Heather Wixon is. Oh, gosh. Uh, first of all, I don't think you can see it right. But like behind me, there is actually the candy. They sent uh, press the Candyman like like a, it's uh, an LED uh, sign. Oh, so okay. I, I just happen to have it over here, but it's, it's not showing up right on the screen. But it's really cool. Um, so that's funny that you mentioned Candyman. Um, gosh, my hey, hey, be careful how many times you say his name. Yeah, that's yeah. true. That was like three. So I'm gonna go ahead and, and I stop said, there. I said it what twice. So uh, well, uh, well, that don't count. You know, <laughs> it does count in the new in the new movie. It does. Have you seen the new movie, Trev? You know, I saw the new movie. That's right. I forgot. You're still alive. But yeah, yeah you I know. It. Thank you. You're what? <laughs> but you know how it is. It's just like if I say the name three times and then somebody else says it, like he'll still come. So. I'm, yeah. you know, it's just he, one of those he's, things, he's but have things to do. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, so I, I think for me, like growing up um, there, I was like the weird kid. Like I had two loves in my childhood. One was horror movies and the other one was wrestling. Um, so that didn't make me exactly very popular. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm having the last laugh now because I get to enjoy those things still to this day. Um, and over the years, like I always loved writing. Um, but I didn't really know what to do with that or anything like that. And so flash, you know, fast forward, you know, a few years, I do the normal things where like you get married, you have a, you know, get a house and all this kind of stuff. And my life was just like, not anything I wanted it to be. And I always wanted to go back to writing. I kind of did all the office jobs because, you know, that's what paid the bills and things. And so I started to do like some like local writing. Cause I used to live back in Chicago, uh, the Chicago suburbs area. And I was, it was better, but I still wasn't there. And I remember, um, there's a horror convention in Chicago called flashback weekend. And I used to go every year as a fan. Um, I'm lucky that you, these times, like in these days, I actually get to go back as a co-host, which is kind of cool. That's always awesome. It is. It's like coming home to my family. And I was sitting there, it was 2007 and it was, was the year that Adam Green was there promoting Hatchet. And he was talking about how Dee Snyder had inspired him to follow his dreams and to, you know, find out what it is that makes you happy and just go out and do it. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I think, I think I'm listening to this for a reason. And it was weird. Like a few days later, I happened to be on Craigslist and there was like this like independent uh, horror website that was just starting up and they were looking for people to do reviews. So just for the heck of it, I, Sent, you know, sent an email, um, heard back like within hours and um, Fabian, who was the guy who ran that site, um, basically hired me, you know, to come on and do some reviews. So I started doing that in 2007. And then 
it was one of those like being in Chicago suburbs like was fine, but it was I wasn't getting the access that I needed to do the things mm-hmm. that I wanted to do. And so I was still coming out to LA like two or three times a year to do different events. Like I would fly out for Scream Fest every October, you know, come out for like one of the, you know, the weekend of horrors in the, in the, in the spring and things like that. And I always knew that my heart was here and it was sort of a weird congruent, like just a whole bunch of different things sort of lined up where it was like, I was in the middle of getting a divorce. I ended up losing my job because of the 2008 uh, economy collapse and basically had like houses going into foreclosure. So nothing really tying me there anymore. And I just on a whim, I had booked a trip to do a vacation in March of 2009. And I was like, well, I'll send out some resumes, see what happens. And while I was on vacation, I ended up actually getting an office job. Mm-hmm. And in the midst of all this, I ended up started working, uh, writing for the site Dread Central, uh, which is one of the bigger sites. And, mm-hmm. you know, and so I talked to the editor there and he was like, you know, if you're out here, we can do more, you know, you can go and do more things and be, you know, be able to contribute more and thing, everything like that. So I basically went home, packed up everything in like five days and I kind of just moved out here <laughs> and it was just kind of like that. And it's funny looking back at it now, like how insane that seems to just like throw away like 30 years of your life, like not throw away, but just like you're basically moving on from 30 years of your life, everything mm-hmm. that you've known, everybody that you've known and going out with no safety net into this mm-hmm. whole different world. Um, and it was tough. Like, I mean, there's been a lot of ups, there's been quite a few downs, um, but I've always, for me, it's always been about sort of preserving the history of the genre. Um, it's just something that is super important to me because I grew up watching, you know, one of my favorite movies growing up was this movie called Terror in the Isles, which mm-hmm. kind of gives you all these different clips from like, they call them terror films back then. Um, and for me, that was like my education. That's how I kind of fell in love with everything. And I would watch those things. And every time there'd be some sort of special on about like the behind the scenes of stuff, like I was always, you know, I'd tune in for all of those. I'd record them whenever I could. And so as my career kind of evolved a little bit, like I love doing the day-to-day stuff, the junkets and everything, they're fine, but I want to have like real conversations with people because Mm -hmm. One thing that I learned when I was in journal, like studying journalism throughout high school and early college was like, everybody has a story. And, you know, for me, when I was doing a lot of stuff with these, with uh, people in the world of effects, like everybody was always going to them and being like, oh, well, how do you make this? And how do you do this? But nobody ever talked to them about their lives. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, we're going to lose these stories. And even through this process, because I've been doing this, this for like five and a half years now. And even throughout this process, like we've lost people along the way that I've interviewed already. Mm-hmm. Like in the first volume that comes out in October um, or this month, since this would be October, um, mm-hmm. Matt Rose was somebody I interviewed in late 2018 and he passed in 2019, just very unexpectedly. And so that to me is something I'm really grateful for that if nothing else, people are going to get to know who he was because he deserves to have a story told. We all do. Yeah, um, I, I 100% agree with you on that. Yeah, so it's been it's been a really crazy wild ride. You know, um, I've been fortunate to do all kinds of different things. Like, I produced a few things. I got to be in the In Search of Darkness documentaries. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have other book projects that I'm kind of working on. It's It's been a real blessing. It's, it, it's 
been overwhelming at times and I have like the most insane schedule ever and I don't recommend it, um, but I wouldn't trade it. Like I love it. And I'm, mm -hmm. I'm really grateful every day that I wake up and I get to do what I, what I love to do for a living. And, uh, you know, I think that that's one of the important things about life is you want to do the stuff that you love, especially if this is something that you're passionate about and you want to, you know, work in this type of field or something. And to piggyback off of what you were saying when you were coming up, it's just like you loved horror and you loved wrestling. I was the same way. It's like growing up, I loved wrestling. And I remember I used to tell myself all the time that, uh, you know, at once I'm ready and I'm old enough, like I want to be a professional wrestler. And I remember like so many people used to always like shoot that dream down. And I was just like, well, this is something that I want to do. <laughs> and I followed my dream. And like now and I'm a professional wrestler. I've been doing it now for almost 10 years. And it's just like how you were saying. It's just like you were the weird kid. But I always say that the weird <laughs> kids are the ones that always succeed. And they're the ones that always have the funnest times as adults. And I mean, I'm not to brag or anything, but it's like, I tell people and like some people be like, oh, you shouldn't say that. But I'm just like, man, I'm way more popular now than I was when I was in high school. So at the end of the day, I won. And it's the same thing like with you, Heather. It's just like, you're way more popular now in life than you were when you were younger. And like, that's just a cool thing because we were weird. And like I said, weird kids, it's like, they always succeed in everything that they go out to do. Yeah. We're used to adversity. You know, we're mm -hmm. used to people discounting us, not taking us seriously, overlooking us. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, having that kind of grit under your fingernails as you get older is, is helpful. Like, I mean, I it would is. never want anybody to have to walk a tough path just to learn something. But mm -hmm. I do think that when you have to really work for something, that's when you really begin to appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I 100% agree with you. And I mean, it's just uh, like going back a couple of years ago, um, you know, I was ready to step away from wrestling because I was just in a, a very dark place in my life. And, uh, you know, I had uh, went to a wrestling show that I was wrestling at and Ron Simmons was there, Farouk. Oh, and wow. I had talked with him and I had just told him like everything that was going on in my life and everything. And like, he had just gave me some really solid advice. And it was like, after that, like, it just... It, like it was a rocket on my back and like I just mm -hmm. blasted off like team rocket from Pokemon and uh yeah and it's like I was thankful to have that moment because I just feel like if I would have never went to that show which I didn't plan on going to and uh you know I talked with him and you know Benjamin Banks is still here we got the leveling up with Benjamin Banks podcast I met Trav you know what I'm saying it's we we leveled up <laughs> you certainly did and also I, I have to say too like as somebody who has been following, you know, the, the, the bigger companies for years and also the independent scene. Like, I don't think there's a better time to be an independent wrestler than there is mm -hmm. right now. Like the mm -hmm. scene everywhere is hot. Like there's yeah. so many companies that I'm starting to follow. And it's like, I have to give a lot of credit to that, uh, for that to GCW who goes into different cities mm -hmm. and they'll wrestle with companies and put them on, you know, give them a, give them a platform. Cause like now I'm following wrestling in, in Las Vegas. I'm following a bunch of different companies on the East coast, mm -hmm. couple down in Texas, like that I'd never even heard of, but it's, it's so much fun for me. Like I like having those alternatives and I always get really bummed out and I don't want to turn this into WWE versus everybody else. But like, I always get bummed out for wrestling fans who think WWE is it because there's yeah. so much exciting yeah. stuff going on everywhere. And there's so much talent. And I love the fact that like, we're able to kind of get to see it now, especially like 
through things like Fight TV that, you know, now you can watch shows from everywhere. Mm -hmm. You know, there's other services and things like that. It's just for me, it's such an exciting time to be a wrestling fan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. And, uh, you know, growing up, like, that's how I was. Like, I thought WWE was the only thing out there. And then I was introduced to Ring of Honor and Impact Wrestling, well, TNA at the time. And it's like, you know, when you see this other stuff and then you learn about New Japan Pro Wrestling, you're just like, wow, like, there's so much stuff out there. And it's sad that uh, you do have some WWE fans that are just like, no, WWE is the best. It's the end all be all. And some of the stuff that I see uh, that some of the fans say on social media, like, it's like they trash everything else. And that's not WWE. And I'm just like, how? Like, yeah. how can you be like this? How can you just say that everything else is trash? Or like, uh, you know, because AEW is out there now. And it's like whenever somebody that was misused in WWE goes to AEW, you always see people just like, WWE did everything for this person. And how are they going to betray them like that? I'm just like, at the end of the day, we are real people. And we have families to feed. We have bills that we need to pay. And it's like, we're going to go to wherever the money is and wherever is going to help us succeed in life. And sometimes it's just like, you know, WWE, I feel like it is like a dream that every wrestler wants to, you know, do. They want to work for WWE, but at the same time, you can wrestle on the indies all your life and you can make a good living depending on like the areas that you go to and whatnot. So yeah, I, I would say too, especially for me, like those fans to me are like, they're fans of a brand. I don't think they're fans of professional wrestling Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. and trying to say that to them, they, they will come back at you immediately. And they're like, no, no, no. I'm like, no, it, that's what it is because mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're, you have brand loyalty and there's nothing wrong with that. Some of us prefer Coke. Some of us prefer Pepsi. That's true. The, those of us who are smart, we love Dr. Pepper. Like, you know, it's okay. Um, we all have the things that we love. And so I always, you know, I always see this like line that, that, that forms where it's like WWE versus everybody. And it makes me sad because a lot of my favorite wrestlers are still in WWE. I don't really watch cause I don't like to support. I I'm just not a big fan of some of the stuff that Vince McMahon has done behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I don't like the Saudi Arabia stuff. It just bugs me. Um, it just feels a little dirty. Him leaving wrestlers stuck in that country yeah. still to this day. Like you don't do that. You just don't do that to people. And so for me, I'm like, I'm still willing to support the wrestlers that are in that company, but I don't support WWE and there's a difference. And I always wonder like how people can be such huge fanatics of talent when they're in WWE, but if they go somewhere else, suddenly they hate them. I'm like, well, then you're, you know, it's just weird. Like all of a sudden Adam Cole's like, you know, persona and on grata. And I'm like, why? He's amazing. Like I've been Mm -hmm. watching him since PWG. And the reality is, is like, Vince gutted the indies like from 2015 Mm -hmm. until 2018 where, you know, and everything's been rebuilding and that's again, has been really exciting because we're getting all this new talent, Mm -hmm. but like, you know, so for me, like everyone's like, well, Oh, you know, you have all these WWE guys. I'm like, no, these are indie guys. These are ROH Mm -hmm. guys. These are PWG guys. You know, these are GCW and things like that. Like it's just, it's a bummer. Sorry to rant. (laughs) No, no, no. It's cool. Hey, this is what we do up here on level. Mm -hmm. Benjamin Banks and, and I agree with you on everything that you said. And it's it's funny to piggyback off of what you said, where it's just like whenever somebody leaves WWE, it's like fan, WWE fans will trash that person for leaving and going to other places. But then as soon as they come back to WWE, it's like they praise them. And I'm just like, you just hated this guy for leaving. And 
now it's just like, oh, we we love that he's back in WWE. Yada yada yada. All this yeah, well, BS. Let's not let's not act like they don't do it vice versa neither. So yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's, I didn't, it's yeah. true. Kenny Omega just had to do a big rant on toxic AEW fans. You know what I mean? So mm. um, it exists on both parties. It really does. It does, and that's the thing. That's the hard thing that I've learned, and I think the internet has really built that up is that these sort of subsets of, of any fandom horror, yeah. mm-hmm. star wars Anime, movies cartoons, oh, yeah. Yeah. don't even get me start dc versus marvel my lord i can't just watch a movie and just enjoy it i suddenly mm-hmm. have an agenda regardless of who makes it <laughs> um there's all these little subsets and they now they have a voice and yeah. now they can just rant off you know out into the the ether and you know the ether yeah mm-hmm. so i basically figured out like when I want to engage with that, and most of the times I don't, because I'm just like, there's no, there's no changing it. Like I can have a rational conversation with anybody, but if they're not willing to really listen, like what's the point? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, or just to, know. or just to even talk, because I mean, I know that like, everybody's going to have different opinions on stuff, but it's like you said, it's just like sometimes some people's opinions can just be too overbearing and overwhelming, and it's just like I don't want to keep going back and forth with you. So sometimes like somebody will say something. And or like on Facebook, for example, I'll just hit the like button and just keep it moving. I'm like, yeah. I'm not going to I'm not going to sit here and entertain this. Hey, and you also got people who handle situations differently, right? Because you got um a guy like Tyler Breeze, who mm-hmm. was pretty much, you know, crapped on his whole entire WWE run, right? Not used properly. And he could go on a rant and do that stuff, yeah, he but didn't. he chose not to mm-hmm. versus CM Punk, who's still talking about it six years later. So different people they handle stuff differently and mm. you know at the yeah. end of the day dude it's just human beings being hey, it's yeah. just like being in a relationship man it's yeah. just like either you're gonna continue to be better right or right, you're right. just gonna are you just gonna talk about the good times you had and just keep it moving just keep and it i'd moving. rather talk i'd rather talk about the good times and then just keep it moving because mm-hmm. i like to just stay positive but uh, you know, to get back on horror, and I, hey, we took a huge snowball. I'm sorry which, about that. <laughs> it's like, well, crap. I, 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 don't, I don't, think, don't think any of us knew that she was a hardcore wrestling fan. So, <laughs> and that's what I, I was there the night we David prepared. almost died. We weren't. So, we weren't. Yeah. Right. I was. I was there the night David Arquette almost died. Wow. Mm, oh. And that match with Nick Gage, like uh-huh. that was the scariest thing that I've ever witnessed in person. Also, that night Marco broke his leg earlier mm. in the evening. It was total chaos that night mm. um but we were we were like second row like right level against the ring That's and that crazy. was that was really really intense and i was really scared for him. i've never seen anything like that in person and even in video the only wrestling incident i've seen where somebody died was the ray mysterio incident at oh, in mexico i remember that i remember that, that was crazy and i know yeah. it's happened ray's not the first one where an accident happened yeah but i know that shook up ray you know, oh, of course, because he's done that move so many times. So many and times. Then, like he did it this one time. And like, that's one of the things like uh, when it comes to professional wrestling, because it's like sometimes people think that they can just do whatever. And I remember there was uh, this incident that happened in Ohio where this comedian, like he tried to do some wrestling move or something like that. And he ended up dying. And it's just one of those things where it's like, you know, the stuff that we do, like it's real you know, at the end of the day, we are professional stuntmen, you know, because it's just like when we get in that ring, it's like you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. And that's why it does kind of irk me sometimes when people are like, 
oh, wrestling is fake or mm. or wrestling is this. And it's just like, I always say, it's just like, well, if I smack you in the face, like, that's real, man. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? And like, they usually uh, change their tone or want to talk about something else. But, um, but yeah, like I was saying, to kind of get back on the horror topic, you said that, you know, you started out doing reviews for the channel, the web channel that you were doing. And I think that that's awesome because like we do reviews here for our channel and whatnot, where we pretty much talk about anything that's nerd related and whatnot. And it's just interesting how you said that you went on Craigslist and there was an ad up there and then, you know, you got your foot in the door and then you just started climbing, falling and climbing until, you know, you got to where you are right now. So I wanted to talk about Daily Dead. Like, how was it, you know, getting into that company and then now being the managing editor? Yeah, so it was it was in 2013, and I things went a little awry when I was at Dread Central, and I won't get in all that goofiness, um, but I knew I needed to make a change. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because you mentioned earlier, like how you messaged me and I responded, and I'm I, I try to be as diligent as I can to interact with people because I don't. I might have a lot of followers on Twitter or whatever it is like, and it's awesome. And I'm so excited about that. But ultimately like, it doesn't make me any better than somebody who has like 300 followers. Mm-hmm. We're all the same people. We're all people on a platform talking nonsense. That's what yeah. we do. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I never understand when like sort of bigger accounts, they don't talk to people. I'm like, all right, so are you just, you know, to coin a phrase, like, are you just trying to get yourself over? Like, what's the point of that? That's not what yeah. I'm here for. So I always try to interact with people. Like it does, you know, I'm not one of those people. So I always remember this. It was Comic-Con 2012 and I was there working for Dread and my now boss, Jonathan, who just, he was really new to the scene because Daily Dead started in 2010 Mm -hmm. and it was his first Comic-Con and we had started following each other on social media and we were at, it was a press conference for the Silent Hill sequel. And I was like, oh, and I saw him just sitting there by himself. And I was like, oh, you're Jonathan from Daily Dead. And he was like, yeah. And so we just started talking. And like later that year, he ended up, he has family in Chicago. So he and his wife came out to flashback to hang out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so we just kind of got to know each other a little bit here and there. And then once I realized like I needed to kind of move away from where I was, because I wasn't getting, I wasn't going anywhere. I wasn't getting to do the things that I wanted to do. And there was just a little bit of some ego play, you know, happening there that I wasn't, I didn't care about. Like, I'm not, I'm not here to make myself into the best. I just want to do the work. Yeah. So ultimately it was like 2013 and, you know, everything was kind of falling apart there. And Jonathan was like, well, if you want to come over, um, you know, I would love to have you. And I was like, Oh yeah, it sounds great. And at that time, like we were a lot smaller than we are now. Like we basically have worked together to build daily dead up with the rest of our team over the last eight years where we were getting not, not a lot of traffic, couldn't really get publicists to respond to us. Um, where now, you know, we're, we're up there, you know, we are up there amongst like the top three horror sites in the U S which is amazing. Like, I'm so grateful for that because like, what a cool thing to be a part of. And Mm -hmm. I love it. And it's like, it's so nice to be on a whole team of like on a team with all these people who are like, we're all working Mm -hmm. towards the same thing. Nobody's trying to undercut anybody. There's no ego. We're just there to talk about stuff we love, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's such a different thing that I didn't have before. Um, And it's really nice. And we've been able to, you know, 
try to be diverse, try to talk about movies that not everybody's talking about. Like if I, you know, and I mean no disrespect, but if I see one more think piece on Midsummer, like I'm going to pull my hair out. <laughs> like there's other movies. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and, I'm, and it's just like the same thing over, oh, please. So like we try to do different things. Like last October we did Halloween. So we right. did all Italian Jello movies. The year before we did all horror before 1970 to nice, kind of like nice. talk about classics and stuff. Um, so we're always trying to do, th- you know, things a little differently. And we're never going to be the biggest. Um, and we may not ever be the best, but we're all in it together and we love it. And, that's and that for me has been amazing. And just to have a boss who like cares and has been consistently supportive, like, because this this week is actually my eighth year Congrats. that I've been there. Like, I just, yeah, thank you. You're welcome. So it's like to be to be a part of something like that and watch it grow and build and become something like like that to me is probably the most rewarding part of my entire career like book the books are great you know having conversations with my heroes are fantastic you know running into you know celebrities randomly amazing but like knowing that I was able to do something that has a legacy now Mm -hmm. and it's not just about me it's about all of us like that's so freaking cool like I never would have expected that yeah and that it is cool when like how you said it's like you start off and then you just keep on growing. You keep on working hard to obtain where you are right now. I mean, I say I feel the same way with our podcast because it's like when we first started, it's like, I, you know, I always joke about sliding in the DMs, but Trav can tell you, it's like when we first started, I stayed sliding in people's DMs. And, you know, I always say either they're going to say yes, they're going to say no, or they're not going to respond at all. But we are very patient here. And <laughs> I feel like this year for us has been our best year yet because it's like, I feel like we finally found our groove and all of the guests that we've had, including yourself, like I said, at the start of the interview, you know, everybody is such amazing and incredible people. And we're just honored to, you know, be where we are now and to be able to talk with everybody. Because if you would have told us, Two years ago, which, uh, you know, we're coming up on our three year anniversary in January that, you know, we would have to some of the people who we grew up watching, like, you know, the Linda Youngs, the Bo Billingsleys. It's like we would have never believed that. But it's like to everybody that's watching and listening right now, like all like me and Heather just said, it's just like if you really want to, you know, do something, it's like you have to work hard. You can't give up. You have to keep pushing. You have to keep reaching out because you never know where it's going to lead you. You got to keep on posting. You got to keep on tweeting. You never know what's going to happen. And, you know, sometimes like that right person will see what you put out there and then bam. And like, that's what I feel like for us because it's like what Trav, I want to say it was February when we did our black history month. And it's like, you know, we had uh, Kevin Thelwell up here and, Mm. He's a voice actor and he had retweeted that he was up here. And it was like, after that, like all of these voice actors and actresses, they just started retweeting and liking his tweet. And then I was just like, Hey bro, I'm about to slide in these DMS. And since then it's like, we've kind of become the podcast that all of the voice actors and actresses come on, which is awesome. You know what I'm saying? So, and it, you know, it's cool when, uh, when I slide in people's DMS and, uh, they're just like, yeah, I know who you are. Like you have some of my friends up here and stuff like that. So it's just, it's an awesome feeling. And also too, to uh, piggyback off of something that you had said about like people who have maybe a hundred followers compared to people who have a million. It's just like, I feel that, uh, you know, you should talk to people, you know what I'm saying? Cause it's like, that's something that I always told myself 
that no matter how big that I got, like I would always talk to people. I remember I went to a WWE show back in 2007, and this is going back to wrestling. And me and my brother, and there were a couple of other fans, we were waiting out in the bus area and the show was still going on. And like some of the wrestlers, they were already walking to their cars and whatnot. And I remember this one wrestler came outside who I'm not going to say. And like, we were trying to get his attention to see if we could get like a picture or autograph with our flip phones and stuff. (laughs) And like, he just kept on walking. He didn't even acknowledge us. And I remember like, I was just like, yo, if I ever become a professional wrestler, if somebody wants to get a picture with me, if they want to get an autograph, if they want to talk to me, like I'll always talk to them because it's like these people, it's like they pay, they pay their money, their hard earned money to come and see us. And it's just like, you don't know, like this could, they could have spent like their last $20 on coming to a show. So it's like, I want to make it memorable for them. And I want to have a new fan and I want to have a new friend. Like it's like all of my fans, I call them my friends because they're so supportive and I wouldn't be where I am right now. And if I didn't have all these people in my life. So it's like, I do think that you should talk to people that, you know, message you or if they comment on something, because, you know, some people will put out a tweet or a post and like somebody will ask them a question or say something to them and like they don't even acknowledge them, you know, so. Or I just feel they like respond you- with like, well, I didn't ask for your opinion. Like that to me always bugs me. It's like when I mm-hmm. see something, they'll put out their tweet about like what they thought of a movie. And for me, it's an open dialogue. Like, yeah. you know, just because you put your, you know, your thoughts out there doesn't mean somebody shouldn't respond. And mm-hmm. I, I've seen this more and more with critics where like they'll, they'll tweet out their, their thoughts on something and somebody be like, oh, you know, I didn't like it or I really like this part. And like their response is like, well, nobody asked you. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, you kind of did because yeah, it's a you public put your form thoughts did. Out. Right? Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, so to me, I'm like, I, I would never do that. So like, it's like, to me, that's just so counterproductive to what social, social media, it's in the, it's in the word social. Mm-hmm. It's not mm-hmm. isolation media. It's social media. But I, I forgot the one thing I wanted to mention is when um, when I met my my now boss at Comic Con. So and you talked about you talked about like not talking to people. The one thing that I remember he said to me um, a couple of months like afterwards, he said to me that that like that was his first year's Comic Con and he was doing press, so he was in all the different places that you know we all kind of congregate. So he's around a lot of people, and I was the only person from press that actually took the time to talk to him that year. Mm. Like what? is that like yeah i mean i know i'm super friendly but i'm just like why like and it made me really bummed out from the people that i know in these circles or i'm just like you can't have a discussion with somebody you know wearing a george romero t-shirt like for five minutes like who obviously is doing the same kind of stuff and likes the same kind of stuff that you do like that to me was a super bummer mm-hmm. um and then also the funny story uh when you mentioned like standing outside of a wwe show uh one time and this was like 99 i want to say uh the dudley boys almost ran me over her and i'm still oh, not snap. over that wow they, they tore because we used to go always go to the shows at the all-state arena and right. there was like a special area where they always parked and we were actually we didn't weren't even stopped for for talent we were just going back to our car because we knew of the restaurant that they all hung out at after right yeah so we're just walking through and uh devon is just driving like tearing through the parking lot it almost mm. hit me and like five other people. I was like, dude, calm down. Like nobody's going to stop your car. Like we love you guys, but like, we're going to let you. We're leave. not that crazy. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. So no, that's, um, yeah, that's crazy, man. <laughs> but I did end up because of going and hanging out at that restaurant. Uh, eventually I, for, I don't even know how that happened, but one of the times we were there, we met, uh, we'd always see edge and Christian there a lot. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and one time in particular, Lance Storm was also there and hanging out. And somehow, and I don't even know how he got it, but there is a picture with myself and my cousin looking super dorky uh, in Lance Storm's book from oh, outside wow. of this restaurant in Chicago. And I had no idea until like a few years ago. And I was like, what? I was like, yeah. this goofy picture, like I maybe had it on my MySpace page. Like, I don't even remember putting it online. So, so yeah, that's, that's, if, if that's my most famous thing. I'm in Lance Storm's book. So that's, oh cool. yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, really, I know really do- dorky looking though. Oh my God. <laughs> I know that. Feel- I mean, cause it's like, uh, you know, when you're in uh, like one of the commercials or something like the, the guy, the Undertaker guy, you know what I'm saying? Like when he made that reaction when Undertaker lost against Brock Lesnar, mm-hmm. it's just like everybody knows who he is. And then now you got the guy when uh, CM Punk came back and he was crying. Right. And it's just like everybody knows who that guy is. And like he's a part of history now. So it's like that's something that you're always going to remember and be known for. It's just like, hey, I'm in Lance Storm's book. You know what I'm saying? So it's <laughs> it's always an awesome feeling. And, uh, you know, also to piggyback off of what you had said about how your boss, like you were the only person that talked to him. It's like something that we started doing this year since uh, the cons have started opening up again as we went to Greenville Comic Con and we just had the opportunity to interview like all of the, not all of the cosplayers because we couldn't interview every single one, but uh, we interviewed some cosplayers there. And it's just like, they were just so excited because they're just like, you know, I never thought that I'd be interviewed before. And I was just like, yeah, well, you got on an awesome costume. And, uh, you know, I just feel like, you know, people need to know who you are. And you never know what that's going to lead to. And if they do blow up, it'd be like, yeah, well, we interviewed them first. So it's just mm-hmm. like, you need to come mm-hmm. back to us. But uh, yeah, I just feel like, you know, at the end of the day, we're all we're all people. We all have awesome stories. I love hearing people's stories. I just because it's like you just learn so much about people. You know what I'm saying? And something, too, that I wanted to mention was that uh, last year for October, I had put a list together of 31 Black characters who survived in horror films. And every day I released a character. And I remember, like, so many people, they were just like, like, there's no way. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Because this is like, you know, growing up, it's like you saw these horror movies and the Black person was always the first person to die. But I watched so many horror movies where it's just like, I was just like, I'm going to do this. And it was just so awesome because I would tag the actors who were in these movies and some of them were retweeted. Some of them would uh, comment uh, like, like Ken Sagos is who's somebody that we're going to also have this month for uh, the spooky month. Uh, oh, awesome. He had commented on uh, the photo when I had him down for, I can't remember what day I put him down for, but like he commented on it on Facebook and I'm like, yo, like, is this real? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, uh, it's just awesome. Like, you just never know what's going to happen when, uh, you know, you put stuff out there in the ether, like you said. And uh, I'm trying to think what I want to do this year, because I don't know if I want to do 31 Black Survivors again, or if I just want to do 31 horror movie recommendations, because there's so many movies that are out there that people haven't seen. Kind of like how you were just saying, people, they always want to do the Midsummer think pieces. Like, there's so much more horror out there that people don't know about. And I was just happy to put that list together and also it was a way to refresh people's memories because like people like a uh, demon Knight that had mm-hmm. Jada Pinkett Smith in it. Like people had seen it when they were a kid, but they never knew what the name of the movie was. And then I put it out there or uh, what's the other movie, uh, night of the demons, you know, people yeah. like these are classic movies. Some people have seen them. Some people haven't seen them. So 
I'm just really thinking about what I want to do this year. Awesome. So, Chad, you, you mentioned, oh, well, it's, and it's, tr- trust me, it's so tough. I haven't even thought about October yet. And I should have been thinking about October like two months ago. Um, so, I, I, I get it. Um, but, Trev, you mentioned earlier you were going to ask us something about a streaming thing. Yeah. Um, so, you, you know, I produce this other podcast called Oscar Worsty. And what they do is, they go through the Oscars yearly and decide if the, uh, the film that won best film, if they deserve to win best film okay. and stumbled across this. Uh, I don't even know how Paul found this site. It's man. I lost it. It's called, okay. It's called full moon features. Have you ever heard of this? Oh yes. Charles band. Yes. So <laughs> this thing is crazy. Like it's a streaming site, right? I mean, you can also like buy DVDs and stuff, but mm-hmm. if you sign up for the year, you get the 12 disc puppet master blu-ray box set right and i'm mm. like dude that's worth 60 bucks yeah. you know yes. getting the getting all the puppet masters on blu-ray but i started digging on this site on like what they had and it is super obscure horror that they have on here uh and i've never been one for b horror movies honestly okay. like i know there's a market for that obviously and uh, what's what's that sh- that monthly streaming horror site? Shutter. Shutter. Yeah. I know Shutter has a lot of that stuff and stuff like that. It's not my cup of tea per se, um, but I know a lot of people love those kind of like killer donuts and killer couches and yeah, you, <laughs> you know stuff like that. It and um, yeah, I was just scrolling through what they had and it it blew my mind on some of the stuff that people come up with yeah well he's he's an interesting guy because he's basically one of the purveyors of vhs way Mm. way way back in the day Mm -hmm. like in the 70s um his father i think worked in film um and he saw that there was starting to be this new market for vhs right and at that point it was just like big prestige movies and things like that, like 10 commandments and everything. Mm-hmm. And it was also like way back in the day when you had to buy like this special player that was built into a TV. Right. 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 And weren't VHS is like a hundred bucks a pop. Yeah. Then? They were yeah. expensive. I didn't own a lot mm. when I was little. That's I started catching up in high school. That's and wild. yeah. So he basically started going to all the different studios and saying, Hey, you should be really putting these things out, you know, so people can rent them and stuff. And so he was right at the cusp of all that. And his, um, originally before he was doing Full Moon, it was Empire Pictures, which he was doing a lot of like Stuart Gordon's um, Lovecraft movies. So uh-huh. he did like From Beyond and uh, Dagon. Um, and there's like one other one. So he was, it was weird because he was doing like these weird little smaller movies and like, you know, and then he gave birth to the Puppet Master movies, but he was also doing some sort of mid-level movies as well. Right. Um, but Charles Band has never met a deal that he didn't love. And I say that lovingly because he's such a goofball. <laughs> but he's like, if you see him at a horror convention, like he's he's kind of like the carnival barker where he's willing, like willing to wheel and deal. Uh-huh. And like one of my my best friends loves Full Moon like so much. I don't get it really. Um, there's some things I love a full moon, but like there's other movies where I'm just like, oh, do we need a, a, a 14th ginger dead man? I think I'm good now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> they have this, they have this series called baby oopsie. 
<laughs> what's this yeah, about? I've I've stayed away from that. Some sort of killer baby. I really don't know oh, the God. actual whole thing of it. I just know that the picture was like a baby in a crib covered in blood with a baseball bat. <laughs> <laughs> Again, it's obscure, weird b horror. Yeah, stuff. And, I, and the thing is, like, I love it all. Like, I love mm-hmm. the prestige stuff. Everybody throws around the term elevated horror. I call it more dramatic horror for me because I think it just sometimes those movies are they try to really even out the horror and the drama. Right. Um. So they're not any better than you know something that's like a little more goofy and fun. Um. Mm-hmm. But I love it all. Like I. You know, I grew up renting anything and everything I could get my hands on. Yeah, I um, miss those days. Right? Yeah, I used to go up to Blockbuster, and it's like uh, me and the girl I was talking to at the time, like we would go down the horror section and we would just pick up whatever. And sometimes, like those B list movies, sometimes they would be good. Yeah, you'll get a random gym. Yeah, but then sometimes you would get something and be like, what am I watching? <laughs> you know? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, my girlfriend in high school, her parents were subscribers to Masters of Horror Collection. Mm. So you would get these crazy, like they had one about a killer tire that we watched. <laughs> and one was a girl with like deer legs. Like she somehow oh, got deer God. legs and stuff. So yeah, I mean, sometimes they're so bad, they're good. Because they're yeah, so yeah, memorable yeah, yeah. and it's funny. But other times it's too much, man. You know, again, yeah. the killer donuts. Hey, <laughs> well, too much. What was the one? Uh, I think it was Pulse, where it's like the cell phones was killing people and stuff. Yeah, I remember. And Pulse. remember, oh, they yeah. made they made a joke about it in uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall mm-hmm. because uh, Kristen Bell she was just like, yeah, she was in some movie where the printer was killing people. Like, how does a printer kill somebody? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it goes back all the way to Maximum Overdrive because we owe it all to Stephen Ooh, King. Remember for that movie? Mm-hmm. You know, making inanimate objects scarier things that don't have any sort of like thought process like i actually just did a podcast on maximum overdrive because it's a garbage movie that i absolutely love and Uh i recognize it's garbage but like i will watch the hell out of it because i it's just fun for me like i i know it's terrible but that's okay that's how i am with reanimator like i love reanimator but i can understand if somebody watched it and be like dude this is bad and i'd be like yeah it is bad but you know i like it that's how like uh you know the new James Wan movie, Malignant. Like, it's Malignant so Malignant rules. It, dude, it rules. And, but it's not for everybody. I still got to watch it. Yeah, okay. I tell yeah. everybody it's not for everybody, but it's for me. You know, yeah. it was, uh, yeah. it took a hell of a turn in that third act. And uh, it got weird. And I loved it, you know? Yeah. I think because I've, I've over the years, I've really come to embrace um, Italian horror, which and not even just specifically Jalo, but like mm. they just will throw anything and everything into a script, mm-hmm. um, which is what I love. Like I want to go into a movie and I want to be surprised because I have to right. watch hundreds of movies every year. And mm-hmm. the worst thing you could do is give me something that I know five minutes in everything that's going to happen. And that happens yeah. a lot. Yeah. And so I think that's why I love the Italians is because they will just be like, all right, so like we're going to get into a car accident. And then this woman is going to steal her husband's head and she's going <laughs> to keep him as his like her, her sexual slave. But her, her one, her son has died, but her daughter's talking to him. But now her daughter's going to poison people. It's like the, and that's a real movie. That is a real yeah. movie that happened. What movie is I, that? Oh my gosh. I can see the artwork and I covered it one year for for one of we do a series called class of and i'm totally blanking out but it's by lamberto bava okay and i was actually going to try to do an article about like you've seen malignant here's some really fun weird italian horror to watch 
Um, and I'm, I'm totally blanking it because it was streaming on like Tubi or something like that. So it was free and it's out there. And I can't believe I'm totally blanking on it right now. You said Lamberto. Um, well, Lamberto Baba. That reminded me. He actually wanted his dad to do, but his dad passed. There's another Malignant on Tubi streaming right now for free. And I guess people are confusing it with the James Wan <laughs> Malignant. So, yeah, I mean, for me, like Malignant's just like a Dark Castle, like the, the Dark Castle remakes that we got at the end of the 90s mm-hmm. and Italian horror all mishmashed into one. Like James knew exactly the movie he was making. He was making, for sure. And he mm. could do it because like he's made Warner Brothers billions of dollars. Like, what are they going to say? No. Right. You know, I think uh, some I saw somebody on Twitter mention how it was like the best uh, example of somebody stealing their boss's credit card and going off and doing whatever they wanted with it. Yeah, c- mm. I think it made like five million dollars this weekend, open and weekend, mm-hmm. and it had like a forty million dollar budget. So this thing is gonna s- super bomb. But like you said, he's made them a billion plus in the Conjuring universe. And I'd also be really curious yeah. to see how many people actually streamed it on HBO Max, right? Because I think you know having people who are consistently there. Because to be honest, we didn't even have HBO Max until Suicide Squad. Right. Because mm-hmm. I was kind of like, a lot of the movies they have on there, like the regular mainstays, I was like, I own most of those. Yeah. But I really wanted to see Suicide Squad again, and I'm not quite ready to be in like regular theaters yet. And so I was like, all right, let's just do it. Let's, you know, whatever. And now it's like, we've got Malignant, we've got Dune, which I don't even actually care about Dune, but I'm going to watch oh, it do. because it's like- Yeah, I want to check that out. The Matrix, the Matrix is going to be up there in December. Yeah, yeah. I, I have to Dune theaters. Yeah. But it's, it's funny because I had my best friends, when I was growing up, my best friend's dad loved Dune. Mm-hmm. So it was like, it was on their TV like almost every weekend. And so I think as a kid, because I was so confused because when you're like five years old, you don't get what that movie is. I just knew it had a really cute pug in it and mm-hmm. I wanted a pug and there was right. big worms. <laughs> um, and so I just kind of like, you know, I, it never absorbed with me. And I tried, I watched the old one a few years ago and I liked it. Um, I mean, I'll see it, but it's not like I'm super jazzed for it. So, but that's for me is like the best thing because I could go into this movie expecting nothing. And I'm hoping that I walk away totally blown away. Right. You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of nice not having expectations. Like Matrix Resurrections, like forget it. I'm, I'm already sitting there waiting for it Absolutely. to Absolutely. You know, that one I'm like, that one I'm just afraid of because I'm like, oh God, is it going to be as good as I'm going to think it's going to be? I don't know. Yeah, I, I was on the fence about that till they dropped that trailer. Then I was like, mm. all right, I'm there. Hey, guys, just wanted to drop some knowledge on y'all. A new uh, front of the podcast, Dewan O'Neill, has dropped his first novelization, Dear Dominic, a roadmap to his son, on Amazon. Grab your copy today. Now, to uh, piggyback off of what you were saying about uh, the director, um, dang, I forgot his name. Uh, uh, dude, that starts with an L? Italian yes. guy? Yes. Oh, Lamberto Bava. Lamberto Bava. So, um, because when you were talking about like Italian films, I was going to mention Suspiria, and then I see that he directed Inferno, which was the sequel to Suspiria. And one of the things that I loved about that film, I watched it a couple of years ago, but Inferno it, or Suspiria? Suspiria. I've never right. seen because I know that the there's original. three like yeah, Infer- yeah, the original Suspiria, not the remake. But when I watched it, I was just like, man, like this movie, it still holds up. And mm-hmm. it's like, it, it just kept me guessing the entire time that I was watching it. So it's like, I totally understand where you're coming from, where it's just like, when you watch something, you don't want to know like who the killer is like right away. And I mean, like, I guess kind of to go back to Midsummer, like I did, I wasn't expecting that 
that stuff was going to happen when I watched it the first time. And then you see that it's just like the friend, he set everything up from the beginning. Like he's been friends with these people for years. Just right, yeah, so yeah. he just can bring them back. Just waiting for this moment. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's like, I love movies like that that make you think. And when you finally find out like who the real uh, monster is in the movie mm-hmm. or who the yeah. real villain is, it's just, it's, uh, it's interesting. What's the A24 movie before Midsommar? Uh, uh, from, oh, from hereditary. Hereditary. hereditary hereditary oh my god that movie is Hered- like those two movies kind of for me put a24 on the map now i see yeah. anything that a24 is attached to but mm-hmm. also i want to go back to suspiria because that the original obviously still holds up but mm-hmm. a lot of people kind of crapped on the amazon remake i love it i loved I it oh my I, I god it was incredible the first time i saw it it was actually fantastic fest a few years ago and i literally was sobbing by the end of that movie. Like I was so moved by it. Like I actually, I can't watch it as much as I watched the original Suspiria because it is such a different catharsis. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And I wanted to say, because one of the things about Suspiria that always bugged me is like everybody, you know, because everybody has their definitions of what Mm -hmm. Jello is. Right. And for me, like, obviously because of what we learned at the end of Suspiria, because they're witches, it isn't technically Jello, but the first half of the movie makes you think it is. Right. So yeah, yeah. I've, and I've seen people, cause there's like a lot of gatekeeping about what boxes you're supposed to put these movies <laughs> in, which is mm-hmm. with Malignant, everyone's like, it's not a Jala movie. I was like, well, the framing of it very much is in the first half of that movie. Cause you don't know what's going oh, on. Right. Which is a lot of different Jala Even with movies. the trailer. Yeah. I mean, the I trailer know, is like, I didn't know what I was going to watch. You know, yeah. you know what else was like that? Uh, get out. Because yeah, it's that, like yeah, when, yeah. You, when, when you saw the initial trailer, like it, you, you would have thought you would have thought it was like a horror movie, but then it's just like when you actually watch it, it's just like, oh, well, it's not a horror movie. I mean, in some aspects it is, but it's more of a psychological thriller. There was another movie that came out, um, Crimson Peaks, where oh, it's Crimson like when, Peaks, the, tra- yeah. Yeah, when the trailers for that, like you thought it was a horror movie, but then you see it's more of a love story. Right, so, right. But with horror elements. Uh, with horror Loki, elements, yeah. What's his name? Tom Hiddleston. Uh, Tom Hiddleston. Tom Hiddleston. Dude, he's mm-hmm. incredible in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Del, Del Toro is right up there for me. In terms of oh, yeah. Like, Del Toro is a great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, I'm so, excited for Nightmare Alley. So let me, let me ask this then, since like we're just throwing random titles Love and it. stuff at the wall. What's your opinion on Eli Roth, you know, and, you know, Green Horn, uh, not Green Hornet, Green Inferno? Green Inferno. And- it's, it was probably one of my most uncomfortable movies experiences that I don't really ever want to repeat. Um, mm-hmm. But I think here's the thing like with him. Because he has such a weird past in terms of he's been sort of over like his character, his persona that he put out early on in his career was that he was okay with being sexist and he Mm -hmm. was okay with being demeaning towards people um, because he got Quentin Tarantino to basically throw his name on hostile or sorry, cabin fever. Um, And but the thing is, like, so when the first time I ever interviewed Eli, I was expecting this super full of himself guy. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's kind of what you, everybody sort of thought of him. And then I interviewed him for, he produced the last exorcism and like, he was just like this big nerd sitting in a room and wasn't this guy that everybody says he is. And I, I don't, I don't condone, you know, objectifying women in a way that he was doing it. Where like, for example, his Thanksgiving trailer that he did for the grindhouse movies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He basically, the girl on the trampoline forced her to be up there for like 25 minutes, just over and over and over. And I was like, I feel like you could have gotten that shot. Yeah, like kind of like some minutes. Stanley Kubrick stuff. Yeah, yeah right. you know, 
and I get it. It's fun to watch boobs bounce. It's like, I nope, we get it. Um, but I'm just like, <laughs> to me, like it's any, and I remember he even said in an article where he was like, you know, it's like kind of getting to live out your grossest fantasies or something like that, which doesn't help. Um, but I think he's made some really smart horror movies. And I actually think for me, Green Inferno does that a lot because I say a lot, even though it's really like in your face about it. But I mean, it talks about sort of this like, kind of like trying to think it's it's sort of like where you turn activism into like your personality right right where you're not really trying to do anything really good about it but you're just trying to pretend like you're doing something good in this world and it's you know we see that a lot online where you know everybody you know at certain times of the year like all of a sudden they care about certain issues and then once that month is over they don't care anymore um, I'm totally blanking on the term because I actually said it once to Megan McCain. On oh, there's an actual term for this. Performative mm. activism. Um, okay. And I actually said that to her once and she actually blocked me on Twitter. So that was funny. Um, but it's, it becomes a thing where people sort of become these performative versions of themselves where it's like, okay, we're, somebody said something stupid about horror today. We're all going to grab our pitchforks and start yelling at them. But like, mm-hmm. Do we care tomorrow? Probably not because there's somebody else we're going to go after with a pitchfork. Yeah. And I know we're all in a place where like one day someone's going to come at us for pitchforks. And then you have to think about like, well, what was my part in all of that? Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, Green Inferno for as messy of a movie as it is, I think it really smartly showed people, you know, that these kids maybe thought that they had the best intentions, but they really weren't doing anything to be helpful. And I mean, let's be honest, history, you know, there's throughout history, it's, you have a lot of situations of white people going into to places they shouldn't be going mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. trying to do things that they shouldn't be doing. Yeah. You know, hey. I come from a, oh, sorry. No, I was going to say Rambo four is the same way. You got the church yeah. ministry letting their nose in the wrong business. Yeah. I mean, even the original Candyman, all, you know, all, right. all of that happened because some white woman well, had to write her thesis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And showed up in Cabrini Green. You know, I mean, it's it's throughout history. Like you can go back to the 30s and 40s and look at something like White Zombie. Um, You know, and I think I don't think he gets enough credit for how smart he is about the genre. And it was interesting because I was watching um, this last season of the Joe Bob show on Uh Shutter, and he was on there talking about. I don't think they were his movies. He was talking. I'm trying to. Oh, it was Fulci. He was doing two Fulci movies that night. And he knows what he's talking about. Like, he's really smart. And, you know, I wish he'd sort of talk, address the things he's done in the past. Because I think if, like, you're like, yeah, that was really crappy of me. But, like, yeah. I'm, we can all grow as people. If we say that we're exactly. not, like, what's the, mm-hmm. what, what's the point of anything? Um, so, for me, I'm like, you know, you look at Hostel. Like, those kids coming up, being haughty Americans, going into a country, thinking they're going to just do whatever because they're Americans and well, right. they learned a lesson, you know, and then hostile too <laughs> turns into like gender politics and things like that. Um, you know, so I think he's, he's got interesting ideas. Um, I don't think he gets quite a fair shake, um, but I liked Green Inferno, but I probably won't watch it again because that the scene and you know, the scene when they're doing the thing and topping I, up. I'm going to be honest I'm with y'all. Like, I haven't seen Green Inferno yet. Yeah. Oh, it's a lot I of saw, movies. I, I saw it in theaters open at night. I just couldn't wait for this movie because I, I do like Eli Roth, even though he seems scummy as a person. Like, I don't yeah. like Tarantino as a person. He's a mm-hmm. scummy to me. But yeah. I can't knock how many incredible films he yeah. And what he does us. 
and what he does for trying to preserve film history. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. so it's it's almost like people are complicated and we can't just be one thing, right? You know, mm-hmm. so that's why I try to keep reminding people. I'm like, you know, there's certain instances where like, I don't watch Jeepers Creepers because I just... Right, right, the right. Whole, yeah, we, yeah, yeah. Yeah, what that for me is, is, is a line he used his power to do these things. So I'm and not going to... it's such an incredible movie too. It's, it sucks because I do like you the find out, But when you find out like yeah, the changes stuff the director did, it's just like, it just changes your... It's like, because I don't watch it anymore. Yeah, it's, the, you know yeah. it's the same with R. Kelly. Like, I can't listen to R. Kelly's music anymore. Oh, for sure, anymore, yeah. And I, I yeah. loved R. Kelly. I do not listen to his music But I can't anymore. listen to his music anymore just based yeah. off a of principle. Like, it's not yeah. the same anymore. Yeah. yeah. That's what happens when... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, and it, you know, I think for everybody, the line changes. Like, you know, there's certain people like I don't really watch Roman Polanski movies. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, for sure. everybody yeah, loves, yeah, yeah. you know, everybody loves Rosemary's Baby, and I've seen it, but I'm right. like, I don't need to go back to it. There's so many other movies out there. Like, I'm sure mm-hmm. Repulsion is an, a masterpiece, but like, I don't feel comfortable, so I'm just exactly. gonna go and focus on yeah. other masterpieces. And everybody, you know, and it's like, and then I see people who, you know, and we all have our own moral codes. So I'm like, I always tell people like, you can't impose your own morality on others. And that's you true. know. And I, I mean, if somebody's coming out and being like, well, you know, Victor Salva is the best, blah, blah, blah. Okay, then we have an issue. But like, if somebody wants to watch Roman Polanski, it's not my business necessarily mm-hmm. to say no. But when somebody comes out and they celebrate the acts of somebody or like, you know, said like, well, he paid his time. I'm like, yeah, but you still have a child mm-hmm. who has to live with this. Exactly. And he's out there making movies it, like that are literally mirror images of the crimes he's committed. Mm-hmm. Like that to me is when it gets tricky. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, because that was one of the things about Jeepers Creepers three was there was a kid in the movie who I guess like her stepfather had molested molested her her. or something like that, and that's when like people found out that the director like he did that and it was almost real life. It was almost like real life, so it's just like people were still pushing to want to see this movie, and like you said, Heather, it's just like you can't you know put your own moralities on other people, but. It's just like, that's not cool. Like, why would you want to support somebody? And I think that they, they're supposed to be coming out with a Jeepers Creepers 4. And I'm just yeah. like... It, ain't it, I, I, it's I a new it director, a reboot though. of the franchise. Oh, okay. It's yeah. a new director. Oh, okay. Suppo- I mean, the reality is, is he's still going to get some money somehow because of he course, still yeah. has ties to it. But it's like, for me, like, when you look at it, like, you know, those movies are all financed by Francis Ford Coppola. Right. Who mm-hmm. is one of Victor Salva's, like, best friends. Like, and he mm-hmm. uh, financed Powder and uh, some other movie as well and i'm like so then that complicates things further because like you have francis for coppola who's directed some of the most incredible movies ever committed to celluloid right mm-hmm. like do i does that mean i don't watch the godfather movies uh, right, right. do i yeah, yeah, yeah. do i not watch apocalypse now like so i get it i think everybody has to kind of find their own yardstick and i'm not mm-hmm. and i you know i may not agree with somebody but it's not my place to tell them like well you're doing this wrong like you need yeah. to you know you, you should be doing what I'm doing. Because no, that's not yeah, how and, it goes. And that kind of goes uh, back to what Travis was saying about R. Kelly, because R. Kelly, he wrote all of these songs for so many people. Like, he wrote a song for Michael Jackson. So it's just like, well, do I not listen to this song because right. R. Kelly wrote it, you know? so And then that's even more complicated, too, in yeah. that case. Yeah, yeah. So, so. yeah. I, my ex actually used to work at House of Blues in Chicago, and mm, R. Kelly used wow. to perform there a lot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, that's a famous, famous place. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I, I can tell you that there was an incident where when you're in the green room there, you are supposed to be 21 and over. 
And there was a few ladies on one night where they were definitely nowhere close to even 18 Mm. and the management tried to make them leave and there were guns and it got scary. Um, But the thing is, everybody's known about the R. Kelly stuff for years. Like I'm some, I'm some chick living in the suburbs and I knew about it just from hearing about these things. Like, you know, people knew and it sucks that it took so long for a lot of these women to be able to be heard and taken seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's tough. Like it's, you know, it's one of those, like you grow up, you watch, you know, WWF back in the day and you end up, you know, as a kid, you have a poster of Hulk Hogan on your wall. Well, what the hell do I do with that now? Like, yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah, I don't support Hulk Hogan anymore because he's same. a total a-hole and he's a racist yeah. and, yeah. but it sucks. Like sometimes it's, it's, it's a bummer when you realize that these people that you've looked up to or that you admire, you know, are kind of terrible trash people. So mm-hmm. No, I yeah. agree with you on that. And, and it's just, it's weird whenever, like, uh, they, they'll have Hogan on TV. And it's like, you know, when I was younger, I used to get really excited. But it's just like, now when I see him, I'm just like, uh, you know, I mean, like, I don't really yeah. care for the guy, especially after right. you heard what he said. And, you know, I am one of those type of people where it's just like, you know, you do forgive people depending on what the circumstances was or like how bad of a situation it was. Because, you know, some stuff is forgivable. Some stuff isn't. But it's just like when you messed up, it's just like, what are you doing to uh, change yourself? Like, what are you doing so that way that you're a better person? Like, what are you doing uh, to uh, help people because of the stuff that you chose to say and do? You know what I'm saying? Like, are you giving back to communities now and stuff like that? Are you helping out in communities? Because I feel like that you have to pay for it in some way. You know what I'm saying? Depending on what it is that you've done. Like I know that that situation that happened with uh, James Gunn, where he ended up getting fired from Disney for some stuff that he said, but it's like how you has said earlier, it's just like, you know, people, they do grow. It's like, you know, sometimes it's like you may say something and like he apologized for the stuff that he said. And, you know, he, same thing, Kevin Hart is another person. He apologized for stuff that he said, but people, they bring it up and they try to make it new. And then they put the person on blast and they're just like, well, this person shouldn't be here. But it's just like, if somebody already apologized for a situation and like they took the steps to better themselves, it's just like, why are you going to knock somebody down after they've already took those steps to better themselves? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like when you're in a relationship and you do that one thing that you screw up and like 10 years later, you get into a fight. And the first thing they say, like, well, remember when you did this, Uh like, And you're like, what? Like that is a decade ago, you know, and uh-huh. I, and I get it. Like there, you know, there's certain people who double down on their behavior. And to me, I'm like, well, then you're not really learning anything from this scenario, but like, you know, we're all human beings. We're all going to screw exactly. up, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm not impervious to this. I'm going to mess up sometime and I'm sure I'll get my, my just desserts, but you know, it's on me to then figure out, take that moment and use it to figure out how to do better. You yeah, know? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, I agree. Oh, go ahead, Trev. No, I, I got to ask this question now since this topic mm-hmm. has become all the rage on this on this episode. Do you think you can go too far in movies? Like, I don't know if you've seen a Serbian film, but um, that's one where a lot of people think, okay, that's that's too far, right? You've taken it too far. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Like, art is, is subjective, and I, I don't believe in censorship. Um, if there's somebody out there that wants to make that movie, it is not on me to tell them that they cannot. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a, there's a, and I had a chance to see it back when it first came out because, uh, a friend of mine was always getting like screeners and stuff. Yeah. What Um, what was that? Like 2011? 
2012 when it came out? Okay. Yeah, it was, it was a long time ago. And to me, I wasn't comfortable with it, so I didn't mm-hmm. watch. But I also, I can't fully judge it because I didn't see it. And I won't fully judge anybody who watches it and maybe enjoys it. Um, you know, because I think it's also for a lot of fans, it could be like the litmus test for if like, if you can watch this, you can watch anything. Right. Yeah. And as horror fans, that's kind of what we do. Like, especially as we're ki- when we're younger, like you want to watch something because you want to push yourself. Um, so I'm never going to tell somebody like, oh no, like, what are you doing? Um, so yeah, it's, it's not from, it's like basically my response to it in a lot of the cases is like, it's not for me. Right. Like yeah. somebody out there might appreciate it. Somebody might find the art in it. It just wasn't my cup of tea. So I didn't choose to partake. Yeah. Um, it's but there's like a movie. Well, I was going to say, there's like a movie that came out in like sort of the indie side of things. I want to say like 2009, 2010, it was called like the bunny game. And I have never felt so sick in my life watching this movie because the director and the actress, I'm pretty sure like she knew what she was going into and like where the the director was literally like injecting her with heroin to get these really authentic performances. Oh my God. Yeah. I see this Uh, movie. Oh, as, yeah. as like a prostitute, like where he had her like urinating on sidewalks uh, and like actually had men like doing like beating her up for scenes and like putting out cigarettes on her skin. And I guess she was in like she was into the process. So I can't if she's into it and she could make that decision for herself. Like right, right, right. Say. Kind of but like, I got, like films or whatever. Yeah. But I got 30 minutes into that movie and I was like, oh, dear God, I'm this is not for me. Yeah, I whatsoever. can't watch it. Yeah. Yeah, And, you know, it's, it's one of those, like, I don't feel like censorship should really be a thing because, you know, there's movies that existed a hundred years ago that were probably way too controversial for audiences then, but have Mm -hmm. become to be accepted and understood and dissected, you know, these days. So, like I said, I would never probably ever watch a Serbian film, but I'm never going to, you know, be mad at somebody who does. Yeah, like I said, I still, I've never watched it and like everybody... Everybody tells me it's just like you. I mean, you know, you're older now. You should have watched it back in the day, but like, don't watch it now because I don't know if you'll be able to take it. And you know, all of these different opinions. I'm probably never going to watch the film. You know, I've I've seen it, and comparing like that to, I know when I'm watching Serbian film, it's not real, right? They're not really yeah. doing this stuff. Versus this Bunny Game movie you're talking about, where this is just a recording of effed up stuff going on yeah, you know and i don't think i could watch that yeah either, serbian man. films what it it's a wild movie but what's mm-hmm. it called because the shock it's it's just the shock value movie yeah you know they take it to the extreme but you never feel like that stuff's really happening in real life versus mm-hmm. like i don't know if you've ever heard of like august underground mortem or I things have. like that yeah where yeah. you're you're not sure if that's real or not. Is this yeah. a real recording of torture actually happening? But I guess if it's not, that goes to how good going back to Italian horror when they came out with uh was what's that uh cannibal holocaust and mm-hmm. and everybody thought that where, was yeah, like they didn't they put the director in jail because they thought he really mm. did these things? Yeah. Yeah. So Yeah. That's, that's one I, I still struggle with. I watched the animal, animal cruelty free one because I'm a mm-hmm. softie, but mm-hmm. I've never yeah. seen those movies. But I, I just haven't either. you know they're they're famous. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. they have a reputation. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh-huh. But it's interesting because I will say, like this director who did the Bunny Game uh, last year, he just did this movie that was on the festival circuit called Dinner in America, 
Um, and I was totally shocked that this was the same director because it has, I'm totally blanking on the girl's name, but Kyle Gallner is sort of the main character in it. And it's sort of like this like kind of middle finger uh, movie where like kind of these two ragtag social outcasts come together and basically like kind of mess with people a little bit. It's, it's very much what I call like, like sort of a middle finger, like indie drama kind of movie. Um, and it's great. Mm. And I was completely shocked when I saw the director's name. I was like, why did that sound so familiar? And then I looked, I was like, oh my God. Um, mm. But it's, it's a wild movie. I don't think it has, I don't think it got a Blu-ray or DVD release here, but I know it did come out in the UK via Arrow. If I'm, if I'm not mistaken, it might be second sight actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but that movie, like, I was like, Oh, we're, we're going some places. Like it opens with like Kyle Gallner crashing some dinner party and making up with Leah Thompson and then smashing through a window. And that's like the first five minutes. And it's yeah. you're like, what's going on here? So, I mean, it, it just shows like you can grow, but I was, I still remember that feel like I, that feeling that I felt while watching that movie. And I was like, I don't enjoy this, mm-hmm. you know, but I also think we all know our limitations. Like yeah, that's what years, I was about to say. Yeah, because mm-hmm. like for years, I pushed Martyrs away because everybody's like, oh, you are not going to like that movie. You know, it's too much. And I was like, all right. What movie is this? Martyrs, Martyrs. which is a French uh, extreme movie that came out like the 2000s. Okay. And, you know, it was one of those, like, cause I remember it played like Scream Fest 2008, I want to say maybe. And friends of mine were like, oh yeah, I don't think it's going to be for you. It's really extreme. And so for years I was like, okay, whatever. And then I had a friend who wanted to do it for a podcast. And I was like, all right, let's, this is the time. And yeah, it is, it's very uncomfortable, but it's really beautiful too. And it sort of talks about sort of like transcendentalism and sort Mm -hmm. of what pain is and what the human existence is. And I was completely stunned by it. I don't know that I would probably watch it again soon. Right. Um, but I was so glad I finally took the time to watch it, you know? Yes. So I think once you kind of close yourself off, but you know, the French extreme movies are, are, are an interesting bunch because like you're either into them or you're like, Oh dear Lord, like no thanks. Now was the human centipede, was that a French film? No. That's a that, German, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I just know that movie was wild. Like we watched it uh, back when they put it on Netflix back in the day and it was late one night and we just, we used to just, this was back on Xbox Live where you, they had the party feature and you right, could yeah. watch. That's Netflix. a party. <laughs> yeah. And I remember we were just sitting there watching it and it was wild. And I, you know, I, I know that they uh, came out with the second one and the third one, but it's like, I just always heard that those films weren't as good as. Well, the yeah, because it film. lost its shock value appeal. Like, yeah. Yeah, I, I physically felt ill after the first time I saw Human Sense. Yes. It was another Scream Fest movie, but I remember. <laughs> Literally, everyone's getting out of the theater, and I just had to sit there for a second because I think the realism of that movie yeah. really creeped under my skin. Like, yeah. if it had felt a little more heightened and a little less real, I'd been like, okay, cool. But I was like, like it, to me, like one of the worst scenes is just him describing the procedure. You're not yeah. seeing anything, you're not even there yet. And I was just like, oh my God. Oh. Like, yeah. yeah, and then when he See, had, and then of course the scene where they, uh, the dude, like he had to do a number that's, two. That's what I. That's oh what I was. God. That's the scene that made me go. That's why I really enjoyed Human Centipede, only because it's so ridiculous. Like this couldn't happen in real life. So to me, it to me that takes away all the 
the realism out of it for me. So I just, I kind of, I'm chuckling the whole movie because I know Bro, I was this not can't, laughing. This <laughs> can't I wasn't happen. laughing either. And also, you say it can't happen, but I'm sure the kids in Hostel probably never thought that would happen either. Yeah, yeah. You never know. They're crazy overseas. You don't know what's going on over yeah, there. And, and that's the wild <laughs> thing about horror movies because it's just like, you know, you watch them and it's just like, yeah, none of this stuff could ever happen. But then you hear these stories of... Oh, yeah, your you know, boy's not going to the Amazon anytime soon. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, I mean, it's just like, you know, people... It's, like, look at all of the movies that kind of inspire people to do stuff. I mean, like, you know, you've had people that have watched jason or oh, the yeah, texas yeah. chainsaw massacre and you know they've done the same type of killings that you saw in those films you know what i'm saying so it can happen you know what i'm saying it's just like you never know what somebody might do based yeah. off of something that they've seen or read you know or a video game that they played you know i mean it's stuff that happens but you know i wanted to ask you this heather because you're a special effects industry historian so mm-hmm. like Tell us like some of the interesting stories that you have from doing that. Cause I just think that it's really interesting when you look at like all of these horror movies and you see like the special effects and the props, like that's something that we always talk about. Cause like one of my favorite movies is the things. And, you know, we always talk about the prosthetics and Mm -hmm. how they still hold up. Like you can just watch this movie and like everything looks amazing, but like, just give us a little bit of stories about doing that. Oh, gosh. Uh, well, I mean, I'm glad you mentioned the thing because it's interesting because everybody sort of talks about the bar was initially raised in 1981 with American Werewolf and the transformation right. oh, scene, yeah. That's you know, that Rick Great movie. his team, yeah, that they put together um, that still is, bar none, one of the most incredible feats of special effects ever. And we're talking 40 years later. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty amazing. Um, what I love about the thing is that, and this is something I got from like talking to John Carpenter was like, he was basically turned into a pariah because of the things that he showed in that movie. Like mm-hmm. we all love and revere the thing now, but when it came out in 1982, it was like the most hated movie. Right. Like the, the, you know, the fact that it has sort of that downer ending that you don't really know what's going on. The goal or the goop, like just the, the constant onslaught of like everything in your face, like, it was, it was not well-received in its time. And, you know, a lot of that was the genius of Rob Bottin, who is sort of now kind of like disappeared from the world a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, he's sort of like one of these like people who like, he did his thing in Hollywood for a few years and was like, cool, I'm out. And then <laughs> nobody can find him. Um, I actually know somebody who's still friends with him. And, she, you know, she's told me like, oh yeah, he's good. He comes to dinner, but he's just out of this world completely. Um, but he was like, at the time that he was coming up, like he was hung. I mean, he might've only been like 20 years old, I think when he was doing the thing, cause he was really young. He reached originally had done like humanoids from the deep, which was a Roger Corman movie. Um, and I want to say he was like 17. I want to, uh-huh. I think around that age when he did that. So he was in his early twenties doing the thing. And I know mm-hmm. it was a huge load of work. In fact, uh, they actually, the scene with the dogs, they had to go to Stan Winston to do that because it's just the workload was so much and mm-hmm. you know the thing is with that stuff like back then especially like it's time consuming it's expensive because of film right. you know so you had it's it was something you always had to try to get right and if you didn't like it could cost you an entire day mm-hmm. um so i always like for me like rob Bottin is one of the first people i think whose effects totally scared the crap out of me because mm-hmm. i was like five when i saw the thing and i don't recommend that because I was already kind of scared of dogs as a kid because I had we had a neighbor dog who had a really mean dog who 
like bit a bunch of us. Right. Mm-hmm. So I already didn't like dogs as a kid. And then I saw that and I was like, well, no, okay. They're, they're all going to turn into like crazy weird aliens. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to think like, cause I've, I've had almost like 80 conversations now. Um, but I think what's really cool is like all of these different people that I've spoken to, they all have different stories. Mm-hmm. Um, for as similar as they might be, there's, there's always these little branches that like are very different about how they kind of go about like becoming part of the industry. Like somebody like V Neil, who, you know, in the eighties, special effects was very male dominated. Mm-hmm. Um, so she had to kind of make her own way and she's always been like a really strong personality. And she actually started out as like a costumer for rock bands. Mm-hmm. So she was dressing like the who and right. like groups like that. And was like super into like fashion and things like that. And then ended up um, meeting Steve Neal who's she took his last name, even though they weren't married. Um, and they just started doing effects together. And back then, because there weren't like these huge shops and things like that, because the industry was different. Like they'd all just be hanging out like in a really young Rick Baker's garage, like on the yeah. weekends and just chit chatting <laughs> and stuff like that, which I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall for that. Um, and, you know, so it's, it, you have like people who kind of come from different places to get here. And then people who start off here and they go to different places, like um, Everett Burrell, who's a guy who worked a lot, um, he did like Fright Night 2 and he used to work with another artist named John Bulich and they did, they created all of the masks that you see in Tommy Jarvis's room in hmm. Friday 4. Wow. And yeah. And yeah, so they were. He has some cool sorry, masks in that, yeah. in that movie. Yeah. Hard to believe a little kid made them, but you know, right. I'll, I'll suspend my disbelief. <laughs> um, but they went and they did like the Night, the Night of the Living Dead remake and things hmm. like that. But like Everett now works in like digital effects or like somebody like Phil Tippett who started off doing like little models like the the ATATs and things like that and then did some characters in like Empire and Return of the Jedi and then was became sort of the premier like dinosaur guy because he or he was like the large creature guy because he was working on a movie called Dragon Slayer right it was able to get a sort of really great merging of stop motion and like real-time photography to make that dragon come alive so they bring him in for Jurassic Park and then they go digital for a lot of it. So then he has to kind of basically learn a whole new field. Yeah, I, I um, saw that on that new Netflix show where they yeah. talked about all that. You know, and he, I, this is the thing that he's said in so many interviews where he basically thought like his job was about to be extinct. Right. Mm. Um, and it's really cool too because um, he's one of the people I interviewed originally. And years ago, we were talking about this project that he had started gosh, I think during the RoboCop days, Mm. um, this this project called Mad God. And actually now it's making the festival circuits after like 30 years. Right. Like he finally finished it. It's really cool. And Mm -hmm. how how was that a thing though? Like, what do you mean? Like what prevented it from, what held it back? Because it's all motion or mostly stop motion. And that stuff is like very time consuming. Right. So, you know, it's one of those like you have to pay your bills. That's crazy. yeah. Well, I think for a certain times, like here and there, he kind of probably got frustrated and put it away right, and right. Then came back to it a few years later and stuff like that. Wow. You know, so I think, you know, I think we've all been there in those places where like, we've had something we were kind of working on or like, eh, forget it. And then you come back to it a little bit later. Um, you know, and then there's like guys like Tony Gardner who uh, runs Alturian Studios and he's, 
I don't know if he's doing the Chucky show, but he did the last few of the Chucky movies. Right. And he's done, you know, he did the blob and he did uh, Hocus Pocus and things like that. But my favorite story of his is that he was so desperate to meet um, Steven Spielberg. And back in like the early 90s, they used to do these tours where people would be dressed up as different characters. And so he grabbed like a, a red hoodie and he had made his own ET mm. that he put like in a milk crate and tied it like and co- uh, connected to his bike That's and basically awesome. rode his bike right onto the Universal lot because they thought <laughs> he worked there. And he would just like hang out and trying to meet Spielberg and stuff like that. And basically got his start by becoming friendly with Rick Baker's dad, who was like a, a really famous uh, painting like type artist. Mm-hmm. So, but it's, it's amazing. Cause like I said, I've, I've talked to so many different people and everybody has different stories. Like we talked about Del Toro's films and there's an artist, David Marti, who works over in Europe. And he learned basically the world of effects via fax machine and Dick Smith, because he would write questions to Dick and fax them over. And then Dick would fax his answers back. And sometimes they would get to talk on the phone, but it was expensive. And that's yeah. how he, you know, learned how to do these things and basically would go on to win an Oscar for Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah, that's crazy. So it's wild. Like, and it's being like, those are the things I don't want people to lose sight of. Like, it's, it's awesome that we, you know, we love these creatures and things like that. But like, for me, it's all about like respecting where they come from too. Mm -hmm. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those where like suddenly, like sometimes like I'll be thinking about things and I'm like, the stories start to blend together in my head only because there's so many of them. Um, But when I go back and I read through them and stuff, I'm like, no, everybody's, everybody's had a different path, mm-hmm. you know, and now they're sort of all in the same world. Um, and, you know, for the most part, it's, it's, it's all supportive. Like they all, they're in competition, but they also are there for each other when things go bad. Right. And, you know, I've yeah. seen that happen a few times with people that we've lost over the last few years, like, especially like somebody like John Carl Be- Beekler, who, you know, he directed, Troll 2, um, Friday 7, and but he also did like effects for so many years and his best friend was like Kane Hodder and things like that. Right. And it's <laughs> funny because like his company was like sort of one of the companies you went to when you were first starting out. Right. Yeah. Um, because it was kind of like, you know, you could learn a lot of things. You know, they were always had sort of smaller projects coming through there because they were really affordable. The work may not have always been like, you know, Rick Baker level, but everybody there was having a good time. And like, so in some of the interviews, like people kind of joke about like John, he was a wonderful guy, an amazing guy. And actually one of the few shop owners who would actually, if they were between projects, would actually pay people uh, out of his own pocket to his own detriment, Um, you know, just to keep people tied it over because the industry could be unpredictable. Right. Um, but he wasn't exactly what anybody would call a world-class sculptor. Like sometimes he'd use a fork and so people would joke about it. But when he passed, like there was nothing but love and respect for him because he made so many careers. Like he may not yeah. have been the best artist, right? but he was one of the, like, I, I would say out of the people that I've spoken to, like at least 50 to 60% of those people owe their careers to the time that they spent in John's shop. Mm-hmm. You know. so, and I was just going to piggyback off of, you know, something that you had said early on in the interview, where it's just like so many people, they have these stories and we have to preserve them. And 
that way other people like they can learn and it can inspire like the next generation of special effects people. And I was just going to say, is this what led to you writing your first book, Monsters Makeup and Effects? Yeah, well, actually, this is so I actually did have a different book that came out in 2017 called Monster Squad. And so it had 20 interviews. And that's actually how this all started was like, way back when I first started this, I was like, okay, if I can get 20 people to talk to me, then I'm golden, right? Right. Mm -hmm. And so I started to reach out to people. And then it just kind of kept snowballing from there. And I was going to just kind of keep going with that. And I but I didn't love my first publisher. It wasn't great. Like the book came out, he didn't even tell me. And so it just like, and I haven't seen, I haven't seen residuals in over a year. Mm. So, you know, who knows if that's even making money anymore, which is fine. It's, it's all good. Uh, Cause I was able to get the rights back for the material for it. So initially this, this series was going to be over at Fangoria. Right. Um, and then they sort of ran into a lot of issues last year with the, with their management team um, who basically had to leave. And then they got new uh, people in place, which was great. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause there was a lot of good people at that, that company that deserved to be able to keep doing what they were doing. Um, and weren't, was, weren't, not to interrupt you, but weren't they yeah. on the brink of going out of business or shut down or something? That like was that? like 10 years ago. And they did. Oh, okay. They did and for they a did. while. Okay. And then they got resurrected in like 2017. Um, and then, but the company that resurrected them wasn't great. Right. Um, and had some, you know, dealings and like basically like the, the producer that, had originally owned Fangoria, like now makes movies with Ben Shapiro. So that'll just tell you everything you need Uh, to know. Um, But the new management, um, it's, it's two women who own the company now um, and they're based on the East coast and they're fantastic. But when they came back and were kind of recalibrating everything, they weren't doing book publishing anymore. So all of this work I'd been doing, I was like, Oh my God, what am I going to do? And I happened to get connected with my current publisher and it's been like a total 180 of an experience for me, like super supportive, sending out things for me, helping me, you know, figure out how to do all this. But it was really great because so it ties back into the first book where each of these books will have five of the interviews that were originally released in 2017. And then it's 15 new ones. And actually Mm -hmm. the volumes three and four might end up being a few extra chapters just because I have a few more than 80 interviews. So I'm like, well, I got to do something with them because I, you know, Mm. I'm not going to sit on them. And I don't know if I have it in me to do a fifth book. (laughs) It's been so long. You never know. You never know. (laughs) I'm like, I need at least a little bit of a break because I'm like, oh my gosh, I've been doing this so long. Um, But it's, it's, it's fantastic because I have somebody who really believes in it. Like the other publisher, like I was grateful for that deal. It was my first book deal ever. I didn't know what I was doing. But he also puts out like, 80 books a year. So I was just a number. I was just book 45 of the year for him. So it's nice to be part of something where like, I feel like it's, it's part of a brand. Um, and I feel like supported and it's, and it's really great too, because like a lot of the other books that he puts out, like he's been doing, uh, this, he took over the publishing for the Steve Johnson book series called Rubberhead. And Mm -hmm. Steve himself, he is a character. He's the guy who created Slimer, worked on Fright Night, was on Rick Baker's crew for American Werewolf, Species, all these just banana pants things that he's been able to pull off. Um, But he's he's a handful. And anybody else, Steve will tell you that. Um, And he jokes about the fact that he's surprised he survived the 80s because all he was, you know, basically he was 
doing copious amounts of coke. And that's the reason he ended up, basically has no money. You know, he's not living in a big mansion somewhere because he snorted it all away. He's, he said that. Yeah. Um, I mean, you heard, I'm sorry to cut you off, but I mean, no, like, no. I don't know. I don't know if you know, uh, is it Steve Storch, uh, Trav? Scott Storch. Scott Storch. Oh, yeah. He was, he was the same way he where it's all like, his residual the yeah, Dr. Dre yeah, checks. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, I mean, that's, that's a lot of snorting. Yeah. <laughs> But no, but I, you know, definitely because I know the book, it comes out this month and, yeah. you know, I like to always support whoever we have up here. So I am going to be ordering me a copy of the book. So that mm-hmm. way I can read some of these fantastic stories that you have here in the book. And, uh, you know, uh, Trav, I know you said what you have one more question that you wanted to ask. Oh, yeah. And, and then I'll ask these famous question and then we'll go ahead and wrap this thing on up. So Trav, go ahead and take the floor. Yeah. And um, I just have to ask because... Uh... You know, you brought up Corman earlier, mm-hmm. and I'm Corman doesn't make good movies. I just want to get that out there, like for the <laughs> most part. But he's so important to cinema because, I mean, if it's not for Corman, we probably don't get Scorsese and like no. all these other guys, right? You don't so, get Jack Nicholson, you right. don't get Scorsese, you don't get Bogdanovich, you don't get Giordante. Yeah, yeah, he's so, it's a whole level, a whole, it's a whole, it's a whole list yeah. of guys, but him himself as a filmmaker, he's not very good but um yeah so let me let me ask you this thing because this always gets like argued in the horror genre um who do you think is like the most influential horror maker well maybe not influential let me take that back most iconic horror Mm. creator oh gosh oh my gosh you're gonna make me choose between my favorites aren't you (sighs) if you would have asked me this as a kid i would have definitely said Wes craven yeah, and, and I actually, and I, yeah, I mean, and that's the thing I do. A, I do a podcast called Craven Craven, um, mm-hmm. where me and my, uh, my friend, Patrick, uh, we call each other horror BFFs, uh, cause we've known each other since like, for like 30 years almost. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and bonded over Nightmare on Elm Street of all things, uh, nice. back when we were little. And so we've been going through each episode is like a new episode, you know, a new movie or different movie of Craven's. <sighs> I, it, God, it's either Craven or Carpenter. And I think that's the thing. It's like Carpenter is one of these guys who I don't think really got appreciated in his time. And now people are really coming to embrace a lot of the things that he's doing. And not just with like the thing, but even movies like Prince of Darkness, which as a kid, that movie was totally over my head. Like I didn't, I'm like, it's like there's green goo and you're talking about some, (laughs) you know, the the realm between the living and the dead. And like, you know, what is- but it's like, but when I watch it now, like there's, I still don't understand all of it. I won't right. lie and say that I do, but there's something really profound about this idea of trying to bring, trying to figure out what the essence of evil is and how does that manifest in right. a physical state and, and things like that. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think long-term, I think it's going to be Craven because I think when you're somebody who repeatedly changed the genre, the way right, that yeah. you did exactly. Because yeah. he did it with Nightmare. He did it with Scream. Right. And, you know, I mean, in reality, he did it even before Scream with New Nightmare. Yeah, but right. people just weren't yep. quite ready for it, as you can see back here. Um, it's, you know, it's he's one of those directors that I think will just continue to be explored and celebrated, mm-hmm. you know, by fans and, you know, for the next 30 to 40 years. I mean, mm-hmm. no one's ever going to, no one's ever going to grow up to be a horror fan in 40 years and not know what Halloween is. Right. But I look forward to some kids someday and not understanding what what a turning point scream was 
1996 and then being able to sort of explore within the context of the time that they're living in. Right. Mm -hmm. And I've always said this. Oh, all I was going to say is, um, you know, one of the things that I like about Wes Craven is that he was always somebody that was willing to take risk and take chances. Um, And one of the documentaries that I had watched, um, I can't, I'm mad. I can't remember what it's called. Never Sleep Again? I think it was called uh, Black Film Noir, I believe. Oh, Horror Noir. Horror Noir. Thank you so much. Because it's been a couple of years since I watched that. And, you know, like that was one of the things that some of the people in that film talked about was uh, like with his film, The Serpent and the Rainbow. You know, right. he took yeah. he took People under chances. the stairs also. The people yeah. under the stairs, Such you know what movie. I'm saying? And, you know, it's like you find out like how it was for, um, you know, like black characters or actors in, in films where it's just like they really didn't do much. But Wes Craven, like he made these movies where it's like, you know, he put the spotlight on them. You know what I'm saying? I mean, like a, a movie that a lot of people don't really talk about is Vampire in Brooklyn. And Love I, Vampire in Brooklyn. And I thought that, that was a that was a cool movie. I mean, of course, when I was a kid, like I was frightened by it, but I mean, just watching it now and, and like it's another movie that still holds up. So it's like Wes Craven, like he has so many gems that he put out. And you know, I agree with the both of you when you say that like he's a huge influence and he'll always be, you know, for years to come. Yeah. And I've oh, always, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I've always said this about Car Brother about Carpenter. Carpenter's more than horror. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, he's got movies that span over all genres. He's got mm-hmm. so many classics and he's more than a director and a writer. I mean, he does all the film score. He created this iconic Michael Myers, mm-hmm. you know, thing, That's you know what I mean? But it's hard enough to create an iconic horror like mascot. Wes Craven's done it twice, dude. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, again, with Freddy, and then just a random ghost face mask and just made that a thing. Mm-hmm. And nothing to me says horror mastermind than Wes Craven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's tough because it's like, for Carpenter, what's interesting is I think so many of his films, he he's always wanted to do westerns. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, so many of his movies, like, even if you look at something like They Live, that has some of those constructs Ooh. of a Western in them, right. mm-hmm. you know, between Roddy and uh, David, like you, there's, there's, yeah, there's like that, that back and forth between them, even in their fight sequence and stuff like that. Um, and Wes, you know, the thing that's really interesting about him is that he's somebody who actually studied college at Wheaton college in Illinois, which is a very conservative uh, Christian school. So right. he was going there for like theology and, so many of his movies, like they're fun and pulpy, but a lot of them really dive into like faith and things like right. that. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, even if you look at, you know, the stuff that he was doing on the last house on the left or, you know, Hills have eyes and then kind of seeing where that progresses to something like deadly blessing, which nobody ever talks about. Um, you know, it's, it's, he's such a fascinating filmmaker in that way. And it's like, to be really honest, like the day that he passed, like was, I cried, like mm-hmm. I cried and I still get really emotional in, in August because I know that was the, mer- the month that he was born and the month that he left us. Right. Um, but like, it's, it's always funny cause he was always a filmmaker who was working a few years ahead of the genre always. Right. Mm-hmm. And I remember specifically when Scream 4 came out and I was such a good movie. Right. And it's like, but back when it was first released, there was so much hate for the movie. And I was defender from day one. And it was always right. this joke that I had on podcasts back like in 2013, where I was like, 
we are eight years away from people understanding how great Scream yeah. 4 is. And sure enough, this year for its 10th anniversary, I said all, all these articles celebrating how great Scream 4 was, how forward thinking it was, you know, look at where we're at today and how kids like, they don't want to go out and get discernible skills. They just want to go be YouTube famous. Right, and it's right. like, yeah. it's spot on. It's totally spot on. Um, yeah. And he's always been a guy who's just been working a little bit ahead of the curve and it takes the rest of us some time to catch up. But I'm glad you mentioned mm. Serpent in the Rainbow because we just literally covered that. Uh, that's going to be on the episode coming up. And I'm just like, to me, I love Freddie. Mm-hmm. Um, that was like my introduction, of course. Mm-hmm. But to me, the scariest movie that Wes Craven ever made was The Serpent and the Rainbow. Wow. Because you that don't is, hear that a lot. You no, but hear. if you, Zake's okay in that movie. Like right. he is, he's a character that can get you anywhere. He can get you yeah. in your dreams. Mm-hmm. He can get you when you're awake. He can get you whether you're in Haiti, whether you're back in the States. And he's mm-hmm. going to steal your soul. Mm-hmm. Like to me, that is like the most messed up part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's and it's just uh, interesting to see like some of the influences that his movies have over time. I mean, because going back to uh, Fear Street, which yeah. was, I, I were one of the killers, like it was based off of Ghostface. You know what I'm right. saying? So it's just always interesting to see, you know, the influences that people have had over other properties and whatnot. Now, this is the last question that I have for you, and this is a question that D always asks our guests when we have him up here, and he mm-hmm. asks. If there was like, what's your favorite horror movies from either the eighties or the nineties? I I kind of feel like you you're going to lean towards Nightmare on Elm Street because that's you know one of the topics that you talk about on your podcast all the time. But like, what's one of your favorites? If you had to say, pick one from the eighties or nineties. Um, I you know first of all, I want to say you know I love eighties horror. I've mm-hmm. you know I celebrate it all the time. It's like the era I came up in, but I don't think the nineties get nearly as much respect as it should for a lot of the risks that were happening at that time. Um, but I will say it's so easy for me to champion like one of the bigger movies, like a nightmare or a scream. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think one of my all time favorites, and it's because it came up around the time when like vampires were super cool. So everybody was really into fright night. They're mm-hmm. really into lost boys. I think mm-hmm. even to a degree near dark, even back then and rental people were really starting to embrace. And I love it. And I love Catherine Bigelow. Uh, Point Break is actually one of my favorite all-time movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of my favorites that I always like to champion that people, sometimes they know the artwork, but they pre- may have not have seen it, is a movie called Vamp. What, what is it? What did you say? Oh, it's a movie called Vamp. And oh, it was Vamp. Vamp, Vamp. yes. I Vamp. said Vamp. <laughs> <laughs> and it was uh, directed by uh, Richard Wank, who's gone on to... Um, write scripts for like a lot of big action movies and stuff, but it has Grace Jones. Um, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm I'm totally blanking. I uh, Robert Russler right and Chris Makepeace is in it. Getty Watanabe, uh, Dee Dee Pfeiffer's in it, and it's just like filled with these amazing character actors. And I just remember renting it on a lark when I was a kid because it had the coolest poster with like this bright red lipstick. Mm-hmm. with these vampire fangs coming off the font. And I was like, I need to see this movie. And I'm so glad my mom didn't watch it with me because it takes place at a strip club. <laughs> so that's probably not appropriate <laughs> when you're nine years old, but whatever. Uh-huh. Um, but I'll tell you, like, the power that Grace Jones has in that movie is incredible. And I, it's one of those, like, I always feel like it gets lost in the mix when everybody talks about, like, 80s vampire movies. And it's, for me, it's one I always will talk about because I love it so much. Um, and it just, for me, was like, it's everything that I want out of a horror comedy. 
Like it, it feels a little dangerous at times. It can be a little scary. It's got really great effects by Greg Canham. Uh, Grace Jones is in there literally doing her own thing. Like there's, <laughs> she has like this really big dance sequence in the movie. Um, nobody saw her dance sequence until she actually performed it in the movie. And so there's like a reaction shot where everybody in the club is just like jaws on the floor. And that was all mm. real because nobody had any idea what she was going to do. And, <laughs> and she had, um, oh gosh, I'm blanking on the artist um, who he passed away. He was a, an AIDS activist in the 80s and he was really into art and I'm totally blanking on his name, but he does her body painting in the movie. Mm-hmm. And then also a lot of the production design for her where she is was done by Andy Warhol who was kind of hanging out on sets at the time too. So it's a really weird, fascinating little movie because um, I grew up loving like New World Pictures movies. And so if it's like, I could talk about all the nightmare movies and the scream movies and all right. that, but I'm like, I like to talk about the movies that people are like, what's this movie? Um, but it's fantastic. Arrow put a vi- uh, Blu-ray of it out a few years ago, but mm-hmm. I actually prefer, there's a uh, Anchor Bay, I think it was, who put out a Blu-ray a few years before that. And it has like all these old New World Picture trailers on it. So you get like Dead Heat on it. Um, you get a version of the trailer for Heather's that's also actually called Lethal Attraction, which was their name overseas. Oh, wow. So it's like all these like fun, weird trailers on it. Right. So to me, that's like, it just sets the tone for everything. Um, well, yeah, yeah, I've never heard of this, but I'm, I'm definitely going to yeah, check I'm gonna it out. Yeah, I'm going to add to the list. It's You're going to have to let me know what you think. Because yeah, it's on yeah. TV right oh. now for free. So I'll be yes. watching it. Take, yeah, take I'm going to add to the list. Now, I want to ask you because um, I'm, I looked it up and then I see that there was another Vamps that came out back in 2012 that had Alicia. Oh, with like Kristen Ritter. And Kristen, did you watch that one too? Like, is that is that like a remake of Vamp or is no, it No, it's like a thing? totally different thing. It's sort of like a socialite thing. Um, okay. I believe that's Amy Heckerling that directed that. Yep. Mm-hmm. So yep. it's a totally different feel. Um, if you like her work, it's probably worth watching. I can't believe no. I'm coughing so much. What is wrong with me? After? Yeah, no, it, it sounds like some from Death Till Dawn type stuff. And I love From Death Till Dawn. Yeah. Hey. That is a, I, I would a actually good... say that there's parts of From Death Till Dawn that are very inspired by me. Inspired by this? Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I so, mean, I can yeah. see it just from the description. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, how yeah, many yeah. other mm-hmm. vampire strip club movies are there? Exactly. Mm hmm. You know, I'll say that, uh, you know, from Dust Till Dawn, like I enjoyed all three of them. And then, you know, you got the TV show that's out as well. Um, I watched the first season, but <laughs> I never watched any of the other seasons that it came after that. What about you, Trav? Did you ever watch the TV show? No, I'm good. For oh, real? Wait. I mean, the TV show, it was okay. Hey. Heather, did you ever watch the From Dust Till Dawn TV show? I did watch the TV show, not the sequel. For some reason, I missed the sequels, but I love the original um like so much actually they're just they're actually going to be showing it at the new beverly wow. cinema out here in october and i'm really excited for that because nice. i actually saw it in theaters uh as a teenager and that movie was transformative Samuel hayek had a hold on me like in oh, my junior, senior year oh yes, yeah because but of that like, movie <laughs> it was like the one-two punch of seeing like desperado at the beginning of my school yeah. year and then yeah like later on in the year, it was like, and then from Dust Till Dawn came out, and I was like, "Who is this woman? And yeah, why would I insane. give my life?" She still her? looks like that too. Yeah, she wow. still. Yeah. But what's what's crazy about from Dust Till Dawn, and then we'll wrap this thing up, is how when you first watch the movie, like you and like me as a kid, I would have never expected that it was a vampire for sure. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. And the marketing so doesn't tell you; it's like malignant. They don't tell you where the movie's headed whatsoever. Right. Yeah. And then mm. you're like, you get there, and you're like, what is going on? Right. And then you get Spy Kids. Yeah. <laughs> oh god here we go 
But yeah, but Heather, thank you so much for joining us up here on our first spooky episode. Thank you. I'm sorry my dog's freaked out like right hey, at the no, end. D, that just means D's here in spirit? Yeah, D, yeah, because D's dogs, they always freak out. And, uh, and yeah, we, we needed to hear them dogs. So Heather, thank you again for joining us. Before we let you go, let everybody on social media land know where they can find you at and where they can listen to all of your podcast stuff at. Oh, for sure. So I... You can find all my writing over at dailydead.com. Sometimes I do have articles that pop over, over at fangoria.com as well. Um, you can find me on Twitter at the horror chick. And if you want to pre-order a copy of Monster Monsters Makeup and Effects, um, you can find that over at aminkpublishing.com. Uh, it comes out October 20th, but they actually already started shipping out copies, which is kind of cool. Um, so you can get it on Amazon, but if you want it quicker, you can go straight to the source there. Um, we also do a podcast on Daily Dead um, called Corpse Club. So you can find out more about that at corpseclub.com. And then Craven Craven is done over at fthismovie.net. Nice. So yeah, wow, that's a lot. No wonder I'm so like tired all the time. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I know the feeling because I mean, when it comes to editing and doing all these videos and Trav doing a podcast, it's, uh, it is definitely a grueling uh, there we go. But at Thank least you, we Trav. love it. At least, yes, we love exactly. It. You love what you do, bro. Heather was awesome. Like I, uh, I want to say, man, for the first episode for October, this is a pretty lengthy one, mm-hmm. but it was well deserving because it's like she had so many stories, man, and you know, it's like how you said in the interview, Trav. Like she was a treasure, man. She was a treasure. Yeah, this is a good way to start off the spooky season. And uh, yeah, with that being said, we're not going to hold you guys any longer. But uh, I will say that make sure that you stay safe this month. And Mm -hmm. uh, if you do go to any parties or if you just want to get out of the house for the spooky season, go to some haunted houses and stuff, just stay safe. Absolutely. uh, Hey, man. And still, again, if you didn't catch it before, Make sure you pick up Monsters Makeup and Effects over at aminkpublishing.com. You can pre-order it now. It comes out October 20th. It is on sale right now for $16.99, and it's well worth it. Yep. Support, Heather. Like I said uh, in the interview, so many cool stories. I mean, like, mm-hmm. some of the stories that she was talking about, like, I'm pretty sure that you'll be able to read more about it in her book. So make sure that you get it. Like Trav said, you can pre-order it now for $16.99. Like I told Heather, I'm getting me a copy because I support everybody that we have that comes up here. And uh, with that being said, Trav, let everybody in social media land know where they can find you at. That's right. You can find me on the Instagram at ZK Audio. And then you can head on over to the Twitter and find me at T-R-A-V-I-O-S-C-K. And of course, where they going to find podcast number one hero at? You can find me, your hero, Benjamin Banks at King Benji underscore banks on twitter and instagram and then you can find me on facebook at benjamin banks i should be the first person to pop up if not then i need to contact mr zuckerberg even though he's not here today make sure that you also head over to instagram and you follow rebellious d at rebellious underscore underscore d23 that's where you can find him at make sure that you also follow all of our social media accounts at leveling up banks that's on facebook twitter and instagram we have a youtube where you can watch the video of this interview at along with other videos and reactions and other interviews and reviews and that is at leveling up with benjamin banks 
Thank you to our patrons who donate to us every day and every week and every month because you do help us get candy for the spooky season. Mm -hmm. And if you want to help us out and you want to donate and you're feeling generous, it is at Leveling Up Banks on Patreon. Thank you again, everybody, for listening to this episode. Stay safe. Stay positive. Keep that pinky up. We'll see you next time on Leveling Up with Benjamin Banks. Peace.